All right, Romans chapter five. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service, please. It's important to have a copy of God's word to, as you go through your daily life. Get into God's word and let it get into you. And as we've been studying through Romans and, and this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Rome, We've been talking again about this, the, the gospel of God, the good news that God gives to us. And we took a turn again as we've been talking about, he talked about the necessity of salvation, why we need to be saved, saved from what, and, and we talked of that we are saved as a gift of grace by God. We are declared righteous, justified by faith. And as I've talked, as we've been going through this, it, 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 my mind oftentimes goes to, I wonder what it would have been like to be in that room as Paul was dictating the letter. And the, just writing it down, writing it down, Paul pacing back and forth. And I have a feeling when he gets to the section we're going through today, his step picked up a little bit. He got a little bit of excitement in his voice because we've talked about the righteous requirement that none of us can meet on our own. That is why we are justified by faith placing our faith in the completed work of Jesus on the cross for us. That is how we stand declared righteous before God. But he's going to go from the requirements to the results today as we look into this, the benefits that we have. And so follow along with me, chapter 5. Let's look at the first 11 verses together today. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul again starts out, therefore... And he follows it immediately, having been justified by faith. He keeps saying that over and over. It's so important that we start there and continue in that. Therefore, having been justified by faith. We're going to look at some of those things that are, are ours who are born again believers. But if you're here today and you have never taken that step of faith, you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You are still thinking that you can somehow earn your way into his favor these promises aren't yours, but they are ours, those who have, have taken this up, justified by faith. And he says, therefore, and follow along with this, guys, this is, so, this is the first thing. We have peace with God. Peace with God. 
That word peace, we all understand on a, on, a, on a very easy level to understand. It means the exemption from rage and havoc of war. To be exempt from the rage and the havoc of war. Now, there's two, th- two sides to this. The world will look at it and say, what do you mean, peace with God? I've never been at war with God. The problem with that thought is the world doesn't understand the seriousness of sin. Sin is a declaration of war against a holy and righteous God. The Bible tells us that when we are in our unregenerated state, before we are born again, we are enemies of God. The world doesn't look at sin that way. They think, well, you know, that's not what I intended. I mean, if there is a God, it certainly didn't mean to offend him. Guys, it doesn't matter what our intention was. In anything, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you look at that, I didn't mean to declare war on God by that. If you're, if you're a pilot or if you take some flying lessons or even go and rent one of those gliders or whatever, and you happen to say, you know what? I just want to go fly over, get a bird's eye view of the White House. I'm just going to fly over and just say, you know, your intention might not be to declare war on the United States, but you enter a certain airspace and guess what? You're going to have a few uh, F-16s flying right around you, fully loaded. It doesn't matter what the intention is. Our sin, and Paul went into great detail in that, beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, as we went through that together, detailing that. But I want to talk a little bit more specifically the other side of that equation. Guys, we are at peace with God. Those who have been born again, those who embrace this truth that we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. Yet so many, so many Christians live as though there is still this continual battle going on. That somehow God is still, that you know, yeah, we might have this semi-peaceful relationship occasionally, but man, the, 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 the battles flare up often. I don't know if you know this, but in 1972, the last Japanese imperial soldier was found on an island in the South Sea. He was alone on this deserted island. He thought the war was still going on. He was still building bunkers. He was still waiting for the United States to come, and he was ready to defend that piece of land. He didn't know the peace that, that there's, the, the war was over. So instead of enjoying the economic boom that Japan has gone on recently, he's fighting malaria and, and thinking everything's going on. And so many people... Don't embrace this truth that, guys, the war is over as Christians. We we have peace with God. It tells us that we have peace with God. Again, nothing to do with our own self. It is because the peace treaty has been brokered and mediated by our Lord Jesus. He himself is our peace, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, For there is, is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. The peace that we have with God is not based on our own performance. That is again what Paul, Paul continues to hammer home this truth. And again, I don't know what background you have growing up in any type of religious system. And even as Christians, we can so often slip into this where, oh man, I really blew it. God must hate me now. Why am I even bothering? Why, why? And that's the enemy whispering in your ear. Guys, we are at peace 
with God. An everlasting peace with him. Because of what Jesus did for us. Because it was sealed with his own blood. Now, as we look at this, and I want to jump, that's in verse 1 right there. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But jump down to verse 9. It says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You ever watch those commercials on TV where it's got this thing that slices it, dices it, does everything for only $19.99, and then it says at the end of it, it says, but wait, there's more, right? And if you order in the next 20 minutes, you know, and all this kind of stuff, there's more, there's more. Paul gets almost like he's so excited. Wait, there's more here, much more. Now having been justified by his blood, yes, there's peace, but that, what does that mean? That means we are saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the wrath of God. Not temporarily, not partially, but eternally and completely. Saved from the wrath of God. We will not face the wrath of God. God has not destined us for wrath. We are set aside for salvation. He has not destined us for wrath. There is judgment coming. There is judgment coming on a world that has rejected the Lord Jesus The Bible speaks very clearly of that, but the Bible tells us, guys, that we will not face that. We will not go through that here, and we will not face judgment, and we will not face the wrath of God eternally. But then, again, I love this in verse 10, much more. I mean, that's not it. It doesn't just stop there. Sometimes I think that that's where we can even fall into as Christians. Okay, I'm saved from the wrath of God. I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to be in heaven. Okay, praise the Lord for that. But I'm sure that because of who I am and how I've lived, I'm probably just going to be stuck over in the corner somewhere or that even right now, okay, I'm just going to, I have this ticket and I'm just going to kind of go through and wait until that day. No, look at this again. He speaks of this in verses 9 through 11 here. Much more, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were, note this, reconciled to God. Through the death of his son. So it goes beyond just being at peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. And notice again the tenses that were here are used here. We're reconciled. It's not something that's in a process. We're. It's a past event with ongoing benefits. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. Reconciled, that means taking a broken relationship and fully mending it. Again, not partially. Yes, he's speaking of the peace that we have received, but guys, the benefits and the privileges that have been restored to us. Fully, completely restored. We are children of God. That relationship has been restored. We go to him, our heavenly father. Not, he's not our probation officer. He is our loving heavenly father. And because of that, and now look back through verse 2, we see we have peace with God, but notice also now, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Not only do we have peace with God, but guys, we have access to God. That word introduction there 
means to be brought into a relationship, brought into and, and introduced, but it, it's this idea of now that we, now we have access. As a matter of fact, that same word is used in Ephesians chapter three, where it says this. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Boldness and confident access. And notice, again, these, these, these words, these phrases in here are important. In verse 2, the introduction into faith in this grace in which we stand, in which we stand currently, not will stand eventually. As Christians, guys, we have unlimited access to the King of Kings. We don't have to take a number. We don't have to call and hope the call goes through. And if it goes through and there's no answer, hope that it gets to voicemail. Don't you hate that? When you really need to talk to somebody, you really got to get a hold of them, and you call them, and then you get the thing that finally it gets to voicemail, and you say, okay, okay, and it finally says, oh, we're sorry, the voicemail box you've called is full. Do <laughs> you hate that? Or worse, the voicemail box you've contacted has not been set up yet. <laughs> Here's the deal, guys. God's voicemail box is never full, and it's never been set up because nothing goes to voicemail. It all goes directly to him. And again, our heavenly father. I love that picture. I love that understanding again, that truth, that he is our heavenly father. We are children of God is what the Bible tells us. Because again, that helps me understand when I have something that I need and I go to him, I have a picture in my mind of what that looks like. Because as parents... We understand that, especially our little kids when they come up to us. Dad, I need something. You know where that goes on my priority list? Right to the top. Doesn't matter what else I'm doing. My child needs me. And it doesn't matter how big or how small you might think your need is in God's economy. You go to him with it, it immediately becomes his top priority. That's our heavenly father. And that's what it means that we have access to him. It's exactly what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and note, find grace to help in time of need. In time of need. Find the grace to help in the time of need. Now, who knows best what our needs are? And who knows best how to fulfill them? It doesn't mean, just like, a, just like a good and loving parent, you know, Dad, I, I need an ice cream cone. Okay. Or most, like, most recently, my son coming, Dad, I need a new computer for my video games. Okay. We, understanding the needs understanding again that God is the one who, who is in control of all of these things, who loves us with a love that we can't, we can't even fathom. This even picture that we have of us as parents with our, with our earthly children is given to us in the Bible, but it, it also says, uh, your parents, sinful, yes. If they know how to give good gifts, imagine 
how our heavenly father knows how to give what's best to us. And as we grow and we mature in our faith, we understand that. We'll talk a little bit more here in just a moment about going through difficulties and trials in our lives and how that grows us. But we understand as we grow and mature in our faith that when we ask for those things and it doesn't come exactly how we want or when we want it, we understand that God's working something greater and bigger and he knows best. You ever notice how the older you get, the smarter your dad gets? Yeah, the older we grow in our faith, the more we understand, man, our, our heavenly father's really got it all together. We have peace with God. We have access to God. And notice the second part of verse two. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Guys, we have hope in God. That word exalt is a cool one. We'll see it a couple of times as we, as we move through here. It means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something. We, we speak of this often. This word hope in the, in the New Testament is different than the way we use it. It doesn't mean that I really, I really hope something takes place. It's, it deals with assurance. It deals with confidence. We, we, we all hope in different things. Placing, placing hope, like, you know, man, I, I really hope it works out. Do you know what the next, what's happening over the next couple of weeks? Come on, football fans. <laughs> Training camp starting, right? And you know that, and so here come all the football analogies. Um, training camp is starting. Every one of us probably go around the room. Pretty much every NFL team might be represented. And all of us have the hope that our team is going to win the Super Bowl. Right? That's not biblical hope. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> the hope that we have is the confident assurance. And I love this when it speaks of this, the hope that we have in the glory of God. What that means is, guys, the hope that we have is that God's glory, he will come, he will rule, he will reign. Everything one day will be set right. Everything will be the way it's supposed to be. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. It's all going to be made right one day when he comes again to rule and to reign in all of his glory. And that is what our hope is in. That is what our assurance and our focus is on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men most must be pitied. If this is all there is, if this is as good as it gets... We as Christians, it says most to be pitied. But here's the great news, guys. As Christians, this is as bad as it gets. It's going to be perfect one day. And that's the hope that we have. That, and we have that hope because of him. But notice, as we continue into verse 3 and 4, it says, And not only this, but we also exalt. There's that word again to have this high degree of confidence now in something, someone in God, something now, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Tribulation. That word means pressure, means distress. In and of itself, it's not a good word. It's not something that we all go out looking for. <laughs> 
And it comes in all shapes and sizes. We all face different levels and varying degrees of tribulation, of pressure, of distress. And depending on where we are in our lives, young people going off to college, facing these things and, and all of this other stuff, all the way up to retirement. And, and what am I going to do here? And going through difficulties and trials, tribulations, pressure. But it says that we can exult in that. We can rejoice in that. We can even, the, that word exult can even mean boasting in that. I love, I love again, the, the, when we look at this and we take the time to slow down and see what it says, knowing not only this, but also we exult in our tribulations. Know the next word, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Knowing having the absolute certainty that there is a process that we're going through. And we know that. How? Because, again, our Heavenly Father's in control. We understand that he loves us, and he is overseeing everything that is transpiring in our lives. Guys, the tribulation process that is outlined for us here is a carefully monitored training program that we go through. It says that it, tribulation brings about perseverance. That is endurance. That, that ability to keep on persisting, to push through. It has to deal with focus. Focusing on that there is something greater going on. We have that understanding as Christians. God doesn't just put us through stuff just to do it. He's got a greater purpose in mind. And we focus on him. We take our eyes off of the immediate and the surrounding circumstances. And we look forward to that prize. We look forward to that end. We look forward to what God is doing in us, preparing us for that end. Again, going back to the, the preseason, no, none of these football players, I guarantee you, are looking forward to three-a-days next week. None of them. But they're doing it because they understand that there's something greater that they're working for. And when we take our focus off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and off of the, off of the pressure, and we put it onto him, and we put it onto the fact that he has a purpose and that he's doing something in us. When we embrace the truth that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says, where momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, then we can go through this and we can navigate the difficult times. Our right focus leads us to a right attitude where we can, as James tells us, to rejoice in our tribulations and trials and difficulties. And that's what Paul is saying here. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself here, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep our focus where it is, where it should be, and Jesus, consider all that he went through for us, so that when we are going through trials that are making us more like him, we don't grow weary. We don't lose heart. We know that God is doing something because perseverance then moves to proven character. Going through the trials, going through the difficulties, coming through it on the other side, 
God's faithfulness again shown in our lives as we go through this, we come through with a faith that is tested and a faith that can be trusted. We continue to move through the the process. Chuck Swindoll said this, this isn't, this proven character piece, this isn't pretending or denial or the power of positive thinking. This triumphant fortitude isn't even something that we can choose to develop. It comes as the trials of life in a fallen world become instruments in the hands of the Holy Spirit who crafts deep within us proven character. Now, The whole point that we can exult in this is this last one because we see the process and it comes to hope. And this is what we have, again, that the rest of the world does not have. Hope. That is, again, the guaranteed victory that is ours. The absolute certainty that we have of the promised outcome. And how does that help us to navigate through? How does that help us to work through the tribulations, the pressures as they come? Guys, knowing the outcome profoundly changes how we experience the process, doesn't it? Again, football, guys that are new to Calvary Chapel, surprise, get get used to a few football analogies. And you need to know this about me. I am a huge Denver Broncos fan. Went to, grew up in, grew up in Denver, big Broncos fan. And I'll tell you, back when they won their first Super Bowl, they were playing the, the Green Bay Packers. And I went to a friend's house who had a bunch of our friends, co-workers over, and we were watching the Super Bowl. And midway through the third quarter, I got so anxious, so much anxiety, so much. I was like claustrophobic. I've never felt that way before. I was sweating. I was going crazy. I... seriously, went out into my truck and listened to the entire rest of the game by myself in the truck. I couldn't watch it, and I couldn't be around anybody. That's how anxious I was. You know what? I don't have that problem anymore when I watch the replay. (laughs) I don't have any anxiety anymore. When I watch the replay of that Super Bowl... Even when John Elway throws that ridiculous interception right over the middle, doesn't bother me a bit. Because I know the outcome. I know the final score. And guys, as we are going through the trials and tribulations of life, don't let the difficulties trip us up and get us all anxious and out of sorts because, guys, we know the final score. We know the fact that when it's all said and done, we win. Because he paid for it. Amen. This hope that it tells us here, verse 5, the hope does not disappoint. Guys, it doesn't. It can't. Anything that we place in the hands of Jesus will never disappoint us. This hope, this hope that, that all, all of the saints have. We looked at Abraham last week. We, you know, we can look through all of these. Do you, can, do you think John the Baptist, who went through tribulations and trials like some that we'll, we'll never see, I mean, goat hair, camel hair, skin, he ate locusts and wild honey, lived in the desert for crying out loud. And what did it get him? He got in prison and then got his head cut off. You think when he got to Jesus, he went up standing in front of Jesus and goes, you know, I got a few questions. 
Do you think he regrets one moment now? No. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here's why. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Last thought on this. I I appreciate how one commentator took this verse and, and these couple of verses and played it backwards. He says this. Our guaranteed victory produces a foundation for our proven character, which displays perseverance, which allows us to endure tribulation with joy. We know the outcome, guys. And because of that, we can exult. And not only because we know the outcome, but notice again, he tells us, verse 5, hope does not disappoint because... The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. And he's just using that to compare how you and I, there's a possibility that we might give our life in exchange for someone, depending on the circumstances. But then here's that, here it is again in verse 8, but God. Totally different, totally different stratosphere when it comes to love. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, we know this is all working out the way it is because of the love of God. The love of God that is radically different than any love you and I experience on any other level. While we were still helpless, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies... He died for us. He gave his life for us. And then he pours his life into us. He pours his love continually upon us. I think it's interesting, and I hope as we continue to study the Bible together, that when you're on your own, you kind of pick up some of these things. But notice the tenses that are used We've been talking about this, you know, the past tenses. You've been justified. You were reconciled. But notice the tense in verse 8. God demonstrates his own love. Not demonstrated. Demonstrates. It's a continual thing. He continually demonstrates his love for us. We see that as he continually pours out his love upon us. This never-ending source of love, of refreshment, of blessing, of grace that continually is poured out to us, that gives us everything that we need to go through any tribulation, any trial, and come through on the other end of it, full of hope. And not only that, the Holy Spirit given to us as an ever-present guarantee of this future victory that is ours in Christ. The Holy Spirit in us as believers. Paul again writes in Ephesians chapter 1, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed in him who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own promise to the praise of his glory. Guys, signed, sealed, delivered, it's ours in him. 
Hebrews 7.25, therefore, he is also able to note, save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It keeps coming back to it, guys. Having been justified by faith through him, all of these things, but here it is, save forever. Justified, declared righteous. As we've mentioned, that means there is no record of your sin in heaven. Declared righteous, perfect, holy before God. And the enemy, the enemy of our souls, Satan, can appeal that, can object all he wants. But the ultimate Supreme Court judge has declared you righteous, and that's all that matters. Period. These things that are ours, guys, it, it's, it's, it's hard to contain our excitement if we truly embrace this. This is ours by placing our faith in Jesus, being declared justified, being declared righteous by faith. Perpetual peace with God. It never ends. It doesn't stop. It's not like a light switch. It's not like, okay, I have peace now, but then, oh, I blew it. Now, 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 I'm, now I've fallen out of it. Now, now I'm at war again. Oh, I better get back in. No, guys, the peace treaty has been signed in Jesus' blood. Perpetual peace, continual access. We can go to him any time. And eternal hope, the absolute assurance. Guys, it's not a feeling. I don't care what you feel like this morning. If you are a born-again believer, that's a fact. It's not about feelings. <laughs> we were ungodly. We are justified. That means we have unending peace. We were sinners. We are children of God. That means we have unhindered access. We were helpless. We are overcomers. That means we have unshakable hope. We were enemies. We are reconciled. That means we have unspeakable joy. That is ours. And if you're, if you're missing that this morning... If you are a born-again believer here today and you say, I don't have that. I'm not experiencing that. It's not because it's not there. That is your possession as a born-again believer. I want to challenge you to possess your possessions. Take hold of those things today. And as I'm saying this to you, I'm saying it to me, because I struggle with the same things you do. We sometimes, we struggle in areas we, have, we don't need to, because these things are ours, guaranteed promises to us. Last verse together, and we'll, then, we'll, then we'll spend some time worshiping the Lord, but last verse, Ephesians 1, 18 through 21. I come to this because it's, he starts out, I pray. And that this would be my prayer for you and me this morning. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The eyes of your heart, that's walking by faith, that your, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, illuminated, that we'd be able to see these things. Because the enemy's going to try to do everything that he can with everything that's going on around to distract, to have us use, use the eyes, our physical eyes, as opposed to the eyes of our heart, so that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Knowing all of these things, that we have peace with God, that we have access to him, and that we have hope that is unshakable in him. Wherever you might be today in, in your walk with the Lord, if you're in a dry time, he wants to refresh you. If you're in a, if you're in a, in a dark time, he wants to enlighten you. If you're kind of just, maybe just kind of going along, he wants to revive you. Dare I say you maybe feel like you're on life support? He wants to breathe life into you. If you're here today and you've never taken that step to trust in him alone for your salvation, you're not born again. You've never taken that, that step of faith. The Bible says that you're dead in your transgressions and sins. He wants to give you life today. But you have to receive the gift. It's there for you. He paid for it. He suffered and died in your place, taking the full wrath of God upon himself. Our Lord Jesus did that for you. But you have to receive the gift. You have to humble yourself, as everyone else in this room has, and come before our creator and allow him to do what he desires to do in your heart today. But you have to surrender to that. Now, I want to ask that we would all stand, and regardless of where you might be in this, as I've just described this, would you let God do a great work here today? And if, I tell you what, if you are on, on top of it all right now, let's just worship our king again for all that he's done for us. But he desires, guys, that we embrace and we own all of these possessions because he paid for them and they're ours. Amen? Let's pray. First, if that is you and you have never taken that step of faith to ask Jesus into your life, to become Lord of your life, it's simply a matter of responding right now to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to your heart. And you just humbly go before him and say, God, I, I need this. And I thank you for showing me that I need it. My life, I've never, I've never looked at it as a, a declaration of war against you. And you're my creator. And I understand that I deserve your wrath. I deserve right now for you to even just annihilate me. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. So I ask you to come into my life right now. To forgive me of all of my sins. I stop striving, stop working, and I just trust you. 
place my faith in you and you alone. Lord God, we thank you that because of, the, because of that amazing truth, that we have been justified by faith. Lord, we praise you and thank you that we have peace with you. That we have been reconciled to you, our heavenly Father. And because of that, we can come to you at any time. We have access to you in everything. We thank you for the hope that we have. And God, I, I pray that we would be able to see our trials and difficulties through the lens of faith. We'd see them differently. Understanding that you do these things in our life to produce this eternal weight of glory that is far beyond anything that we could compare it to. Lord God, right now, would you do a work in each one of us here today, regardless of where we are in our, our journey with you? For those that are going through dark times, Lord, would you be that, that ray of hope? Those that are in dry times, Lord, that, that river, never-ending river of joy. Lord, you are the continual source of everything that we need. Lord, refresh us, revive us, re-energize us, reinvigorate us today as we worship you together. In Jesus' name.